Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch a girl business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Asa Firestone, who is the CEO and co-founder of A-Lodge. Asa is also an avid rock climber, and he also co-founded several successful nonprofit organizations. And A-Lodge, which is a hotel based in Boulder, Colorado, is all about giving access to the best outdoor adventures that Boulder has to offer. I mean, whether that be climbing or fishing, skiing, cycling, hiking, or, or literally just taking in the town of Boulder. A-Lodge is the place to stay. And in this episode, we talk about how Asa really got this idea off the ground, some of the many challenges he faced and really making this concept become a reality and why this is so meaningful and important to him and the, really the expansion that's going to happen with A-Lodge in the future as well. You can support the show. Leave a rating review over an Apple podcast. I really appreciate that. All the show notes for this episode are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And it's time for the weekly grind with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Asa Firestone, CEO and co-founder of A-Lodge. Asa, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we had chatted, you know, a while ago about what you were doing and very intrigued by obviously the, the kind of the hotel business. And so with A-Lodge, how did that even get started? Um, I'm a rock climber. Uh, I've been climbing since the 90s. Um, and I have also lived in Boulder, Colorado for a long time. And yeah. um, in 2012, um, there, I remember hearing about the hostel on the hill here in Boulder, which is like the college neighborhood, uh, was closing down and being turned into condos, which, you know, is kind of one of the trends that we're seeing where yeah. things are gentrifying and all that. And in a town like Boulder that, um, you know, that seemed um, not surprising, but it seemed like a sad thing that Boulder would not have a hostel anymore. Um, and so I started you know, being fresh out of uh, USC business school, I wrote up a little business plan to create a uh, hostel geared towards rock climbers and adventure enthusiasts. Um, and I just wrote it up, you know, just kind of like a one pager type thing and put it away, filed it away for a couple of years because I had other things on my plate. I was working on uh, uh, something called Beyond Gear, which failed. And then right after that, I was, uh, I got linked up with, uh, Walter Isaacson who wrote the Steve jobs biography and yeah. the president of the Aspen Institute and, uh, general Stanley McChrystal. And they were working on something called the a service year. Um, their, their goal was to try to incorporate, um, uh, AmeriCorps and city year and stuff like that, um, to try to get, uh, more of American youth to spend a year of their life in service, not necessarily military service, but, um, you know, doing some sort of service for the world and for their country. Um, and so we were tasked or we were given the opportunity to create the, the outdoor adventure version of that. Um, and so we created something called Adventure Forward, uh, which would be a year of service to help get underserved kids into the outdoors and experiencing nature and more connected to nature. Um, my, my background with that is that I helped start uh, a program in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro called um, 
the Centro de Escalada Urbana or the Urban Climbing Center. And okay. we uh, worked with, or we still work with kids from the favelas of Rio um, and right in their backyards, um, there's amazing world-class rock climbing. And so we started a, essentially a favela climbing program to get kids from those neighborhoods introduced to climbing. And our, our concept with that is, was that um, uh, kids in the favelas are deal, deal with a lot of risk, and, yeah. but not necessarily positive risk, obviously. And so we felt that um, replacing that risk with something more positive like rock climbing um, would do a lot of good. Um, so it was a theory and the, you know, that program is still going on in Brazil, um, and has been pretty successful, mostly because of my partner down there, who is just a super badass. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm less involved with that now, but, um, but still a big supporter and believe in it. Um, so anyway, so, so venture forward, uh, was going forward. We were trying to get, you know, serious fundraising from or funding from, you know, Pepsi or McDonald's or whoever, you know, big funder that we could. And we felt like we had a good shot because we had such a great advisory board. And we, we ran a, a year of it. Um, we didn't get the big funding we were looking for. And I actually had a falling out with my two co-founders. And actually, I personally got kicked out of the organization. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was very awkward. Um, um but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was also a really good lesson for me. Um, and it opened up my opportunities to do something different. So right after I was asked to leave the organization, I, uh, well, the organization failed shortly after, um, which was sad, but didn't surprise me. And, uh, and then I started a lodge. I, I dusted off the old business plan to do the climbers hostel, started looking around for properties and found a, a rundown motel, um, outside of Boulder, about two miles up Boulder Canyon and, uh, got an investor and bought the property and literally it, it all happened within months. And the next thing I knew I was a hotelier and I had people, the day we closed on the property, we had guests staying at the property and I was uh, learning the hotel business. <laughs> okay. That's a lot. First of all, that's amazing. What's well, an incredible story. And with that too, I mean, what throughout that, even getting to the point of the A-Lodge, like what's kind of driven you in your career to do these different projects? And obviously you mentioned you have that passion for rock climbing, but even having the kids out in Brazil and then doing other uh, projects as well, like what, why, <laughs> what, what drives you to do those things? Sure. I mean, I, well, so for me, I've, you know, I, I struggled as a kid and, and as we all kind of do, but, um, and I found my confidence through the outdoors. Um, I loved to climb and to, to climb 14ers here in Colorado. I actually grew up in Washington, DC, but I would come out to Colorado in the summers because my dad, because of my dad's work. And so I didn't know anybody out here. And so I would just sign up for like a youth group, you know, climbing trip to go rock climbing or to go rafting or to go climb a 14er. And I just fell in love with, um, outdoor adventure. I just felt, um, I felt confident. I felt enabled and, uh, and 
strong and, and um, it, it just helped me to get through the challenges that every, every youth um, goes through, no matter what your demographic is or what your um, economic background. I think every youth is at risk to a certain extent. Obviously, some, some kids have a lot um, steeper hill to climb, obviously. But I think, I think every, every kid struggles. And I found that um, for me personally, I think every, everybody's different, obviously. But for me, climbing was um, that, that um, enabler to um, get me out of my shell, to give me the, the confidence that I could be uh, somebody who could um, achieve things, who could believe in, in himself and, um, and, and that type of thing. Plus, it was just super fun. And it brought me to amazing, beautiful places. Um, and in addition, um, you know, I, when I would travel, you know, I lived in Brazil as a foreign exchange student in high school and then again in college and then started the program years after college. Um, but when you travel, if you are part of a tribe like that, like a climber community or, yeah, you know, uh, there's so many different tribes out there, but Climbing is just one of those types of tribes. But when you travel and you're part of a tribe, what I found was that people opened themselves up to you. They, they opened up their doors. You know, I would meet a climber in Brazil and the next thing I knew, I was staying at their house and having dinner with their family. And I felt like there, that was something really powerful. And um, so what I've noticed with our program in Brazil is that, you know, some of these kids who really... Um, leaned into the program, um, all sorts of doors started opening up for them um, that would have normally been closed coming from a favela. Um, so one of our kids, Jonas, he spent uh, a, a fair amount of time in Switzerland. Um, and for a kid coming from the favela, that type of opportunity is, uh, is pretty rare and pretty hard to, to, to grasp. Um, so I, I think that, you know, allowing and enabling kids to become part of this this tribe um, can open up doors. Um, plus, you know, part of the reason why I, I always felt like I wanted to give back in a certain way is I have a lot of opportunities that a lot of people don't. So I feel a certain amount of responsibility to give back. Um, yeah. And then two is my sister growing up um, was always an overachiever and she was very much into social justice and you know she started the environmental program at her high school and then wound up uh, going to harvard law school and instead of taking a corporate job she uh, took a nonprofit. where she actually started a nonprofit in california called the community water center to help um, underserved communities in the central valley of california get clean access to clean drinking water um, wow. So it was, it was always something, and now she's actually on the uh, California State Water Control Board. Um, so, she, you know, appointed by the governor. And so she's like this kind of badass, uh, <laughs> you know, social justice woman who's always yeah. inspired me. Um, and so I think that, you know, I definitely was influenced by her to um, not just be an entrepreneur, but, um, be more of a social entrepreneur. Um, you know, and, and, and that being said, I also 
have influencers here in Boulder, um, the founder of Un the Unreasonable Institute, which is now the Unreasonable Group, Daniel Epstein, who's done a really amazing things, is a good buddy of mine here in Boulder, and he's all about the social entrepreneurship. So I've, I've always kind of felt um, connected to that type of work and that type of community. And then even at, when I was in business school at USC um, with Adlai Wortman, I was part of the um, uh, Brittingham uh, program, which is yeah. which at the time was called uh, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but um, it's it was a program within the business school focused on social entrepreneurship on nonprofits, and it gave us a community and a tribe within a traditional business school to be able to flex that those social entrepreneurship muscles and um, and feel supported. Yeah, and and having you know being at USC currently with only a few months left, depending on when this interview actually releases. But I've seen that as well with the Birmingham Lab, uh, just from classmates of mine, and the benefits they've gotten out of that through the network and being able to kind of work on some ideas they have uh, as well, which is which is interesting. And even with USC as well. So going through that while you're at USC for MBA, then you have this business plan for the hotel, and you don't work on it right away. Why did you not work on it immediately after? I mean, I have some guesses, but why did you not work on it immediately after? Well, actually, I, I didn't. So I was at USC from 2010 to 2012. So um, I actually was working on uh, two different businesses when I was in business school. I was working on a, uh, a shower, uh, an automatic shower meter um, called Drop-Off that would you would place in your shower. It would utilize the... Uh, sensors in urinals to detect when you're in the shower and then tell you how much water you've used and tell you when you should get out of the shower, when you should, you've kind of overconsumed your water usage. Um, <laughs> wow. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but um, uh, it kind of, we, it, it just didn't totally work out. Um, and I kind of switched gears towards the end of my second year at USC and started up Beyond Gear, which was uh, essentially Tom's Shoes for climbers. Um, we were, so I was really into the, uh, the Brazilian program at that point, the, the Favela Rock Climbing Program. And I wanted to figure out a, a social enterprise that would help fund that, that work. And so I came up with uh, chalk bags and uh, a, a brand that would help support uh, through through giving away some of their their profits from the company to that program, help support that that program. Uh, we we made chalk bags, we made climbing backpacks, and we started with uh, climbing jewelry. Actually, um, so uh, that was uh, that was great because we were able to get over twenty thousand dollars of funding for the program, but it wasn't successful enough to. Um, to for me to be able to make a, a living off of it and and yeah. I was working full time on it, um, I really believed in it. I did everything I could. Actually, really, what happened was uh, 2012. I graduated from business school, moved back to Boulder, focused fully on Beyond Gear. I uh, had a, a, a partner, a business partner, who is a, a climbing buddy of mine here in Boulder, and we actually went to Peru on a climbing expedition. In, 2000, in July of 2012. And uh, sadly, we went up, we were trying to do a first ascent on a, uh, 
on a, a 20,000 foot peak in Peru called uh, Pocorahu. And um, we were up there for a week on the mountain, scoped it out, tried to do it, but we were getting bad weather. So we had to turn around and um, I had my grandma's 90th birthday was coming up. So I had to leave. And my other friend from San Diego came out and met up with um, my business partner, Gil. And they went back to the mountain, climbed it, did the first ascent. And on their way down, they were, they were coming down a ridge that collapsed and took them both off the mountain and they both perished, which was uh, wow. uh, super uh, devastating to me and, you know, to, to everybody. But um, that was kind of... Um, that 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 kind of put the nail in the coffin uh, for me with um, with Beyond Gear. Um, actually, that was a terrible metaphor there, but um, it it was uh, it, it was pretty tough. I, I kind of switched gears for a couple months. I wasn't really able to focus on being an entrepreneur, and I, I focused on his uh, memorial service and um, yeah, you know all that. But you know, losing two friends and climbing was. Um, was, was pretty hard, um, to, to keep that business going. Um, and then shortly after that, that's when we started, uh, adventure forward and then that didn't work out. So, you know, it's kind of a typical entrepreneurship story where, um, you start a couple different things. They don't work out, but you learn. And, um, through tenacity, you wind up finding something that does work, um, through, through all the hardship of, of going through a, a couple of other ventures. Um, but I, I really think that um, all of those ventures that I, I tried to start and failed at or, or even got kicked out of um, were really important for me to learn, to be able to create something that so far has been successful for, or it's been in the black for five years running and hopefully for yeah. another five years plus. Yeah. And through those, I mean, uh crazy life experiences through the businesses, through your friends perishing, unfortunately. I mean, what, how did you come out of that in terms of like, how were you changed or different from those experiences than going into, okay, let's start a lodge? Yeah. I mean, well, so with, with beyond gear and with, with Gil and Ben, um, as climbing buddies who, who died in Peru, um, I think that um, uh, there's two there's two big lessons I learned from that. One is that you know when you see you know when you see a friend perish and and who's not even thirty years old, you you're reminded that how fragile life is and how um, lucky we are to you know you know have these life experiences and and be able to continue on. And, and, you know, I was lucky cause I was, I was up there with them and I, that could have been me. And that's something yeah. that I, I, that stuck with me. Um, and I think that in a certain ironic way that, that, um, creates some freedom, um, for, for, at least for me where, you know, before I felt so much pressure to be successful and, um, and after that, I was like, well, I'm just lucky to be here right now. And, you know, I, if I'm not successful as an entrepreneur, like who cares, you know, I'll get a job or I'll figure something out. I'm still around like, and, and once you, once that, 
once I was able to release some of that pressure, um, it allowed me to, um, to be able to just, you know, in, I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but I, I think it just allowed me to, um, blossom a little bit more and, yeah, and not be quite as, um, as uptight and, and as stressed out about it all, um, which I think leads to more success. Um, so I think that the other thing that, that beyond gear taught me was that I had kind of put the, the cart before the horse with that, with that business. I had kind of come up with a, you know, my own vision of what people wanted and what customers wanted. And I was trying to create a whole new segment of, you know, uh, socially responsible climbing jewelry really is what I started with. And I, you know, I think that there are people who wanted that and I still see people wearing it and it was cool stuff. But overall, I was not looking at what the demand was asking for. I was just trying to create something that I thought was cool. And instead, I think that um, as an entrepreneur, you really, you know, it's certainly a lot easier to find products that people absolutely need that are solving a, a, a true problem for people rather than something that you think people will think is cool. Um, yeah. You know, and so what I, what I realized with A-Lodge, and I think the reason why it was successful and Beyond Gear was not, is because A-Lodge was, was taking on a new take of a massive industry, which is hospitality. And I, I looked at the market in Boulder and I, I realized that Boulder was growing. There's a lot more people who wanted to come there. Um, you know, it was really exploding at that time. And, you know, and so there's already all these people who are coming to Boulder and looking for lodging. And so that market's already there. I wasn't, I didn't have to create a brand new segment or, or, or create the demand. I could tap into a different take on a market that was already booming. And, you know, in Boulder at the time, there was no other hotel or, or there's no hostel. There was no camping in, in Boulder proper, which was ridiculous for a place like Boulder. And yeah. there was no hotel that was branded specific to outdoor enthusiasts. And so I think that's the reason why I was successful with A-Lodge is because it was something that people were already looking for and they're already coming uh, to Boulder and looking for lodging. And mo half those people were into outdoor adventures. They're either climbers or skiers or runners or mountain bikers or whatever. And so by creating a, a home base for those types of people um, and, and also in knowing the town really well and knowing where it should be located, uh, a place that's both close to downtown and close to all the trails and the climbs, um, you know, it was easy to, not easy, but it was easier to start with something that already had a demand for it rather than trying to just create it from scratch. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense in the research you did for that to figure that out. I mean, it all kind of was like, okay, you did your homework on this. You figured out this 
this was a need clearly and it's already uh established and a need that's established already not something you have to create those first steps of actually making this a reality you know you mentioned earlier on getting the investor doing this it came together relatively quickly i mean once you decide to actually go for it to make a lodge happen like take me through some of those like first initial steps that you were taking to make this happen yeah absolutely i mean the the big one was was finding the money um now Honestly, it was easier for me to find money for a lodge because the investor could buy real estate and yeah. real estate is an asset that most likely appreciates. And if all goes wrong and the business doesn't work then they still have an asset that they can sell. And so the investor felt like it wasn't that risky for them versus starting a tech company Obviously, a tech company, there's like a whole lot more potential and you can scale, you know, uh, exponentially and, and all of that. And you can make crazy money. But most tech companies fail. And right. when they fail, there's nothing to sell. There's no assets to, you know, the, the risk is higher. So it was easier for me to find an investor in real estate um, because they were, you know, there was a, a, an asset that we that would appreciate most likely. And then if things really went wrong, they could, they could sell it. And they, they didn't feel like they were going to lose in the Boulder market in 2014. Right. And, and, and sure enough, the property is like doubled in appreciation. With finding that investor, was that from like uh, tapping into personal networks? Like, look, I mean, literally what is that process like for people who have no idea? Yeah, I mean, I I got lucky as well because it was within my personal network pretty pretty closely, um, and that that um, investor was actually selling a property. It it was interesting. That investor was selling a four bedroom condo. Um, it was in Aspen, but it's still, um, and we were able to do a ten thirty one exchange from the sale. So the profits from the sale of that piece of real estate went directly into the acquisition of the hotel and they can defer on taxes. So it made yep. sense for that investor at the time. And, um, and the investor knew me pretty well. So it was a, um, an easy, you know, they, they felt confident in my knowledge of the local real estate and in the, the real estate asset. Um, and it, so it just worked out, it was kind of serendipitous that, you know, they were selling a property at the exact same time and they were interested in reinvesting the profits. I already had this deal. I had already uh, pinpointed the, the right location and, and the exact property that, uh, would work. And that was very unique for what we were trying to do. They believed in my business plan, in the, in the concept and, uh, and it, it worked out. Um, now. I, we've recently, a couple of months ago, we acquired our second property and I worked with a different investor who I, uh, didn't have as a personal of a connection to. Um, and so that's been a little, a little interesting. I mean, it's been, I, I think it's great for, for us to, to, you know, expand out and, and have an, a, a brand new investor who is, um, really more of a, a proper investor who just looks at our property and says, Hey, that's a good business. I want to invest in that. Um, yeah. but what I've noticed is that the, uh, it's, it's definitely more pressure and it's a little bit more stress. 
Um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's good for, for me personally, because the way that I, I structured the first deal is that the investor bought the property by themselves. So I don't own any of the, uh, of the current, of the first property. Um, right. I lease it from them. Um, so we don't even have a management agreement. We have a, a lease. And what that does for me, is, well, it's a triple net lease. So it's a good deal for the investor. Um, yeah. It gives me full autonomy as long as I'm paying the lease, you know, and, and not violating any of that. Um, it's uh, very autonomous. I, the investor does not tell me what to do at all. And we've even worked out um, some some other deals where to, to infuse more capital into uh, renovations of the property um, for, you know, for a, a deal for uh, increased rent, essentially. Um, and so that's just been really easy. Um, you know, it, it, the business is not easy and it's been a struggle in so many ways, but that relationship has been pretty easy. Whereas the, the new investor who brings a lot of value and he's, he's fantastic. Um, but he is very much involved with a lot of the decisions. Um, the way we structured it is that he owns 50% of the, uh, company that, that of the real estate holding company. Um, yep. and so he, he has a veto. So I have to, really work with him and make sure that he's happy and, and listen to all of his opinions. And, you know, he is very much involved with the second location. Um, and so that's just a different setup, but I, I don't think it is a bad setup as long as we're, we have a good relationship. Um, so, so that's, you know, they're, they're, they're different, but I think, you know, going forwards, um, until, you know, I, I strike it big with all this, I'm going to need, you know, if, if we're going to do a third location or, or fourth or fifth, that's probably the, the type of relationship I'm going to have where I'm involved in the real estate holding company, right. but I have an outside investor who's really investing in the real estate. And then my company, my brand will come in and operate that location and, and that property. Yeah. And, and one thing too, just going back to, uh, then the a lodge right now, how it currently is. I mean, how long was that process from literally deciding and I guess from securing the investor to having people stay at a lodge, how long was that process roughly? Uh, it was really quick. I mean, I, so what happened was adventure forward kind of fell apart from where I got booted out of that organization in May, the end of May or call it June of 2014 and we actually closed on the property on December 1st, 2014. So, and, and when the day we closed, we had guests staying here. They didn't realize that the property had sold, but we yeah. had guests staying here. And so we didn't, we didn't rebrand for a couple of months because we didn't, one, we had to do work to make it nicer. And two, yeah. um, we, you know, we, we didn't, yeah, we, we just didn't know exactly what the brand was going to be and, and, and all that. Actually, what, what happened with us was we were going to call it the Boulder Base Camp. Uh, that was our original name. And, um, and then there turned, out, well, there turned out that there was a Base Camp Hotel based out of Tahoe. And they mm -hmm. had just bought at like the exact same moment in time. <laughs> they had bought the Quality Inn in downtown Boulder. And we're turning that into the base camp hotel. 
And so Jeez. we we had a an article in the paper, in the local paper here in Boulder, that interviewed us. And this was even before we even closed, but you know, it was kind of a done deal. And in that interview in the paper, they talked about how we were going to change the name to the Boulder Base Camp. Well, the day that that went to print, I got a call from the Base Camp Hotel and they were like, hey, uh, you can't be the, the Boulder Base Camp because we're the Base Camp Hotel and we, have a, we are acquiring a hotel in Boulder. We can't have two Base Camp Hotels in Boulder. That's ridiculous. And, you know, I knew about them and I had researched them and I knew they didn't have a trademark. And uh, ah. so I started a negotiation with them because I was kind of like, well, you know, you guys aren't local. You're, you know, you're based out of wherever, San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be pushed around. But you guys also, I was super nervous because I didn't know if the, the project was going to work. And I didn't know if we had room for two outdoor branded hotels in Boulder. And so I started a negotiation with them. And I, I said, um, they were like, okay, we need you to change your name. And I was like, well, I want to buy your name for $200,000. And they were like, wait, what? Like, no, our name's not for sale. <laughs> and but what that did is that that set the price for them to buy out our name. Well, the yep. name that we were trying to be. One, because I knew they, they couldn't make me change the name because they didn't have a trademark on it. And right. two, um, I was open to changing the name, but I wanted to, I didn't want to be pushed around. I wanted to get paid for it. So they didn't pay me $200,000, obviously, <laughs> but they, they did pay uh, a little bit of money, um, you know, significant enough for me to, to agree to it. Um, yeah. And, oh, actually what really went down was that um, they offered to give me all their used mattresses in exchange for changing my name. And that that's what kind of pissed me off. And I was like, I don't want to freaking use mattresses. So how about I buy your name for $200,000, which I wasn't planning to do. But anyways, so uh, we we agreed. They actually turned out to be incredibly nice guys. And, uh, yeah. and we went out after the whole thing. I, I think I really pissed them off for uh, a couple of weeks and ruined <laughs> Thanksgiving. But um you know, at, at the time I felt that, you know, I just, I was just nervous about the whole thing and I just didn't feel like I could, um, play nice and be pushed around. And I just didn't know if I had room to do that. And I really liked the name Boulder Basecamp with the alliteration and it kind of represented what we we're trying to, trying to do. <clears throat> and, but anyways, all's well that ends well. And we wound up having lunch shortly after all that. And they were super nice. And they, they, you know, they'd been in the hotel and the development industry for a lot longer than I had. And even were willing to give us advice and, you know, answer phone calls. And, and we, you know, I don't hang out with them very often, but, but we are friendly and uh, I have a lot of respect for the brand that they've created. And in the end, their hotel was a different product than ours, different price point, and it didn't have a hostel. And we've both been able to be successful here in the Boulder market. So it all worked That's out. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you end up changing it to A-Lodge then, though? How did you choose that name? Well, so at that time, I was like, oh, damn, I'm going to have to change the name. So I started <laughs> trying to figure out, like, what is the name? And we came up, you know, it was, it was actually really hard because we were pretty set on Boulder Base Camp. And... 
So we, we started working on it. I, I did hire a branding company to work with and, and we sat down with them. They were fantastic. They're, uh, they're called Studio Mast out of uh, Denver. And we sat down with them and, and we asked them to come up with some names. And we had some names that we were brainstorming, um, one of which was just Adventure Lodge because we were like, well, that's what it is. It's a, it's a lodge and it's based on adventure. So, you know, we should probably just try to keep it to that. Uh, they came up with uh, the name uh, Trek House, Trek House uh, uh, spelled H-A-U-S. I guess yep. like the German, I don't even know what that means in Germany, probably house. <laughs> um, anyways, um, we thought about that, but we went against it. And then we're going to, you know, we are the Boulder Adventure Lodge, but I came up with A Lodge because A stands for adventure and it's shorter and it feels more uh, relevant and modern. And, um, you know, and, and then it also isn't, you know, sometimes when you're just too literal, it's just, it, it can feel a little bit unoriginal. Um, yeah. So I felt like a lodge could be, we could use adventure lodge. We could use Boulder adventure lodge, or if we expanded, we could, we could name it, you know, steamboat adventure lodge, whatever, wherever we expanded, we could, we could just put the, the location name and insert it into that brand, but we could also have a lodge for short. And, um, and so we've kind of more and more and more kind of veered towards the A-Lodge branding because it, it looks better with our logo. It's shorter. It's catchy. It just feels more modern. And, um, and people at a certain point kind of get that it's, uh, it stands for adventure. Yeah. And then with going back to like the transition from you over, you know, you, you, took, you took this hotel, you bought this hotel, and then you're going to change it over a matter of months to rebrand it. What was that rebranding? process you mentioned a little bit of already but like what was that process to then change it over so people were like wait what is this place now like what was that like yeah so it used to be called the boulder mountain lodge and um and it was a a, a beautiful location or it is a beautiful location but the the property needed a lot of work and so we didn't want to brand it right away and then not have the quality go you know have the quality be the same so we felt yeah. like Hey, let's let's use the first couple of months as an experiment and, and learning opportunity under the old brand um, to get to know what the hell we're doing up here, um, and then when we're ready and and we can get the quality up a little bit, we can you know go and and rebrand it and and do a launch and and go into what our our end brand is going to be. Um, so the first thing that we started working on, you know, after we figured out the name and dealt with all of that and got the branding package dialed in, then we went in, we painted the whole place. It used to be painted pink and it was like this crazy kind of creamy pink and it was, it was you know, no, nothing against the, the former owners, but it was, it was pretty awful. Um, so we, we changed the, the exterior colors and the first goal was there's two first goals. Uh, one is to create a hostel out of a couple of suites. And two was to redo the lobby so that it was a proper communal space. And I thought that both of those projects would take me a few months at most. Um, yeah. And we, so we started demo in our lobby 
pretty early on, like uh, January of 2015. And we opened it up and then we realized there was no foundation in that building. It literally was railroad ties uh, in dirt and floorboards over dirt. So we were like, oh, well, how are we going to deal with this? So then we started dealing with the zoning and with the, uh, you know, unincorporated Boulder County. And the next thing we knew, we were in a whole, you know, I mean, you know, to put it lightly, we were in kind of a shit storm of uh, <laughs> zoning and uh, permitting and all of that. And I, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't a developer. I was, I didn't have experience with that. So I was kind of learning all of this as we were going through it. So, you know, I'm new to the hotel business. I'm new to development and construction. I mean, I, I was an energy efficiency engineer for a while before that, but I'd never done anything like this. And now I have a building that's demoed inside, so we can't use it. We demoed two, both of the suites upstairs because we wanted to make that as part of the lobby. And so we're, I was down two rooms and the building didn't have a foundation and the, the county wouldn't give me a permit until we got all that figured out. And then they were being really difficult because of um, the zoning up here is forestry. And, you know, that doesn't really allow for commercial activities, but, but back in 92, there was a special use permit to grandfather in the, the business. So it was a really, um, it was a really particular and difficult situation. And what happened was that the lobby sat empty and demoed for like a year and a half. And wow. it was, yeah, it was like, I thought, you know, it was one of the more stressful things I've ever gone through because, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, well, you know, this is going to bankrupt us. You know, this is going to, I thought this was going to cost, you know, 150 grand, 250 grand. And now this is looking like four times that. And, oh. you know, and, and we're going to have to, they won't let us demo the building and start from scratch there there because it was a historic building and we actually had to go in and and put braces up all around the building and then pour a new foundation retroactively underneath the stone walls oh, of the building goodness. and we had to do it in sections it was like a whole mess and the first quote i got for 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 the foundation was like $150,000 just for the foundation. And I'm like, well, that's like my whole budget. Like, how is this going right. to happen? So, you know, we, we wound up getting it done. We, we found people who understood our situation, you know, contractors and, and uh, um, you know, different subs that, that would, you know, allow us to do it in a way that um, wouldn't cost, you know, a million and a half dollars to just renovate the lobby. Um, so anyways, so three years later, we finally uh, finished and got it open, got a liquor license, um, and, and it's been a success. But man, that, that, that beginning part was like kind of a classic situation where, you know, you think you, you're, you've gotten yourself into a great situation and, um, you know, it's going to be easier going forwards but that's not really how life works and, uh, <laughs> of course. and it gives you buildings with no foundations, you know, in it. and we probably should have caught that in the inspection, but, but we didn't. 
So that was a surprise. Um, well, that, yeah, the lack of experience, you just don't know what you don't know, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, and that's a, a really good point because going forward, you know, a couple of years ago, we were trying to expand to Estes Park and I looked at a property and quickly realized that there, it was built in 1918 and it definitely didn't have a foundation in it. And that was the reason why all the the uh, floor and the upstairs were all crooked and, and unlevel. And I was like, you know what, this is a great opportunity, but I can't, I just can't deal with this again because I know exactly what's going to happen and trying to renovate this old building from 1918 is just going to be a disaster unless we have yeah. a couple million dollars to, to do it right. Um, which we didn't. So we passed yeah. on, that, on that property. Yeah. And, and Ace, like you, obviously you're mentioning we, who is involved uh, with the business? Like who is, uh, who's helping out in uh, growing this thing? Yeah, that's a good question. So I had kind of uh, learned from getting kicked out of the or the nonprofit organization um, about partnerships. And the yeah. first thing I learned from that is that if I'm pulling the deal together and I'm kind of quarterbacking the whole thing, then I need to, you know, I need to make sure that I maintain control because there's no way I'm going to do all this and then get kicked out of my own baby again. Um, right. So that was a really good lesson for me to, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's not good to partner with people or to create partnerships or to, you know, sell off equity. But for me, it was really important to maintain control. So that way I would not get kicked out of my own organization ever again. Um, so, but I also learned that, um, I'm good at some things and I'm really not good at other things. And so when I looked at who to partner with on this project, on the A-Lodge, I looked at what my skill set was and I said, you know, I need to, I, I do want a partner, but I need a partner who's got a total different set of skills than I do. And who's somebody who can run a different side of the business where I'm not stepping on their toes and they're not stepping on mine. And what I realized is that I'm reasonably good at the entrepreneurship side of things and like the, the, the big picture, the, the, you know, raising money, getting the finance, putting together the business plan, looking at the marketing, all of that, but I'm not a good manager. And that's not where I wanted to focus on. So I said, who is the best manager that I know? Because a big part of a, the hospitality business is management of staff. We have housekeeping, we have front desk, you know, maintenance, all, all sorts of different um, staff. And that's really what our business is. We're really a cleaning business and a real estate business is really what we are. And right. so I said, okay, who's the best manager that I know that, would potentially want to work with me. And I, uh, there's a place in Boulder called the Mountain Sun. It's a brew pub. It's super famous in Boulder. Um, they don't can any of their beers, but they brew all their beer on site and they have great food and just kind of like a hippie vibe in there. But it's like super professional at the same time. It's like very much Boulder. And I, one of my buddies from college, from undergrad, was actually a manager at the Mountain Sun. 
And when I would walk in to the mountainside before we started working together, I would, uh, he would see me, I, you know, it would be crazy in there, just super packed. And he would still see me and he would call me out and say, Asa, beer's on, on me. You know, he would always make me feel like I was the coolest person to ever walk into that restaurant. And that's what I wanted people to feel like when they were coming to our hotel. And so I recruited him to come on board and to be our manager and to be really the COO. Um, But, you know, technically, I guess, general manager. Um, What was the pitch for that? Just curious. How'd you, how'd you get him on board? I mean, it wasn't that hard. He was, he was wanting to, to move away from the restaurant business. Um, You know, restaurant business is super hard and, and, you know, he'd been there for five years and, and, you know, I had talked to him about it before. So I kind of knew that he was looking for other opportunities and he was looking at some tech companies and, and different things. And so I just, you know, I, I can't remember exactly, but I, I think I just went out for beers with them and just said, hey, like, hey, I'm starting this, this is happening and I need somebody to, to help manage it and to, to partner up with me because, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to be as successful trying to do all of it myself. I'm not a good manager. That's not what I do. It's not my experience, not my skill set. And, uh, and so, you know, I worked out a deal with him and, uh, um, it was, it was just a handshake agreement and, uh, and he came on board and it was, it was pretty, pretty quick actually. Um, you know, especially once he, you know, once he started getting a, a paycheck and sort of, you know, even before we had bought the property, we had put some money into uh, the the business so that we could get paid a very small amount for our time, and that's that's when for him it, it became real. I imagine because he's like, "Wow, okay, I've got a big opportunity to kind of like be my own boss in a way and to like help get this started and and, and create this this culture." And they seem to have money and they're they're I'm getting a paycheck and yeah, let's, let's do it. And, you know, and I yeah. worked out a, a, a deal with him as well to be, you know, a, a founder, a co-founder, um, you know, and, uh, and so I think that made it more real for him as well. Yeah. And you're going to say some other people as well. I, I well, interrupted. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, myself and Chris, Chris is the, the um, COO character, um, we're really the the only equity holders in the A Lodge brand. Um, gotcha. Beyond that, we've got you know a, amazing staff that have been here for for years and years, um, and so I would count them in as well as like the A Lodge family. Um, you know, we we've got one guy who showed up. I think it was four years ago. He had met somebody. He was from New Caledonia, which is a South Pacific French Polynesian island. And uh, he was in New Zealand and he wanted to come to the, to the States and he met somebody from Boulder who said, well, if you go to the States, you got to go to Boulder and you got to stay at the A-Lodge because it's the only hostel in town and it's awesome. And so that was <laughs> the first place he went when he came to the U.S. was our hostel. And I remember we had a huge snowstorm like the second day that he was here and we're on a well and we're, um, we're on septic and, 
you know, so all of our systems kind of um, are dependent on electricity. And we had this big snowstorm and knocked out power to the whole place. And so we didn't have running water. I mean, it was just like a whole shit show uh, going on. And um, he came to us and he's like, hey, I'm here. I want to help you guys put me to work. And we were like, well, you know, we're, we're pretty new. We don't have that much money to, to pay you. He's like, I don't care. I just want to help. And we gave him a shovel. <laughs> and he literally spent like six hours that day just like shoveling are like infinite amount of sidewalks and, you know, just helping, helping us kind of get through this really hard, hard time. And after that, I was just like, man, this guy is amazing. And uh, we hired him to help us with maintenance and whatever, just kind of like a, like a utility uh, infielder type character. And he's been here ever since. I mean, he's, he's gone, he's traveled, he's gone back to New Caledonia. He's traveled to, uh, Joshua tree and to the desert and to all these places, but he picked up climbing and he's just like, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like the first place he came <laughs> to in the U S was our hostel. He got a job and he stayed here ever since. And you literally That's insane. He, lived in, <laughs> he lived in a van on our property and you know, it's just part of our family now. Um, so, you know, so that, I think that that's part of what our, that's part of the reason for our success. Not, not that we were like unbelievably successful, but I think that's part of the reason why we've been in the black every year since we started is because we, since we branded ourselves towards a tribe, climbers, adventure, you know, outdoor enthusiasts, it, it actually, it not only attracts those types of people as customers, but almost as importantly, it attracts those people within that tribe as employees because they understand that we understand them and that when they say, hey, I'm going to Yosemite for a week or two or, or I want to go to Yosemite for a week or two, I want to go climb El Capitan or Half Dome or do these big adventures, we're like, okay, yeah, hell yeah, you should totally do that and we're going to figure out how to make that work You know, even though it's our peak season or something like that right. where we understand where they're coming from and because we're part of that tribe. Yeah. And that's the, I was the community and the tribe has a huge part of it. And that's, that's kind of what the brand is. Then how, what have you done? What's been kind of the best way to kind of promote that, get the word out about that market, the company to then grow and continually have people coming in and supporting the business? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Um, you know, you know, honestly, we get most of our, our guests um, through the online travel agencies like Booking.com and Expedia and Airbnb and Hotel Tonight, um, which is annoying because we have to pay them commission and, and all that. But, you know, I would say that, um, you know, a, a big, you know, one of the ways that we've been successful with, with getting the word out to the outdoor community is we started um we, we started doing a film night every summer at least one to two where we would we rented out a 25 foot inflatable projector screen and, nice <laughs> uh, and we partnered up with the local boulder adventure film festival and to get content from them and we showed 
and we still do this, we show uh, adventure films, short adventure films, usually, you know, five to 15 minutes long. And we show, you know, five to, to 10 of them in a night. And we, we sell beer, we have a band, and we show these films outdoors on our lawn. And what we found was the first one we did, we were blown away because like 400 people showed up. And we were just like, wow, like this is, this is amazing. I mean, we lost money for the event. I mean, it definitely didn't pay for itself. But what, what, what happened was that we got, you know, the whole adventure community in Boulder to show up and to see what we were doing and to interact with our property and to be there on site in the flesh. And that kind of gave us a lot of exposure because now all those people know what we're doing. Even if, you know, most people who live in a town, like they don't interact with a hotel because they're, they have no reason to, because, you know, the hotel is for, you know, travelers who don't live yeah. there, who are coming to town and staying there. But this way we are able to interact with the local community get them up here to see what we're doing. And now they know what we're doing. They know the place is beautiful. They know that it's unique in Boulder. And now they're telling their friends and family when, when they're coming to town that that's where they should stay. Um, and so I think that even though we lost, we always lose money on those events, it's so worth it for us um, you know, that, that we continue to do it every summer. Um, actually, I was just on the phone with New Belgium Brewery today about potential partnership with them on, on that event. And um, anyway, so, so I think it's, it's become a big part of our brand. Even though we only do two of them a year, um, you know, I, it, it really is a, an important part of, of our community outreach program. Yeah. And I know uh, coming on by the time here, I just want to ask real quick, like what, how are you spending your time day to day? Like, like now, I'm just always wondering, always ask entrepreneurs because there's so many things going on and in different businesses, it's different. How are you spending your time these days? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, it, it was when we first started, I was taking shifts at the front desk. I was helping with housekeeping. I was doing everything. Um, and yeah. as well as, as really working as a developer to develop the property and renovate it and get that damn lobby done and get the hostel open and get our rooms nicer. Um, but now I, I rarely will take a shift just because, you know, I, I, I don't have to anymore. Um, and really what I do now is I, I deal with, um, with groups a lot, you know, I, I, I deal yeah. with, you know, the North face who wants to rent out the whole place for retreat and I'll deal directly with them. Um, I'll deal with, uh, a lot of kind of the back end permitting and, and legal stuff. Um, I deal with the finances. Um, and what I've been spending a lot of my time on in the last year is, we, we expanded into renting out uh, van life, like camper vans. Um, so I've, I've developed that business. And um, uh, actually, we had to start a new company for that, really for liability, because if somebody gets hurt in a van, uh, I don't want them taking, uh, you know, affecting the lodge. Um, so they're right. two separate businesses. Um, and I actually, because the van business is really a startup, I'm still 
you know, doing the tours for, for customers who are renting the vans. And I haven't hired a van manager yet, but that's, that's the goal. And then within the next year is to hire somebody who can really run that business. And then right now, a huge chunk of my time is really being spent on the expansion to our second location. Um, you know, uh, courting our investor and, uh, and working out that deal and, and making sure that that relationship is really solid. Um, getting the, the new property that we've, that we've acquired uh, up to, it, it was closed when we bought it. So um, getting that renovated and all the furniture put in, the branding dialed in, the, we're working on doing a beer garden uh, at that location. So dialing in, uh, you know, that design and, and, and that business model uh, is, is super time consuming. Um, and yeah, and then also, you know, what, what's called revenue management where, um, you know, hotels like bigger hotels, they'll have a, a whole job uh, description as a revenue manager. And really what that is, is it's, uh, dealing with all the online travel agencies, booking.com, Expedia, hotel night, Airbnb, whatever it might be, um, adjusting pricing to make sure that we're, we're capturing as much revenue potential as we can. Um, because you know, the truth is that hotel prices, they change almost every day if you're doing it right, because the demand changes every day. And so we need to yeah. know, like we, we don't want to, like when Grateful Dead comes to Boulder and plays a sellout show for 60,000 people, uh, you know, every hotel in town is going to book up. Well, we don't want to have our prices when that's going on to be $100 a night for a hotel room. We, we need to make sure that we're, you know, we've raised our prices to what people will, will pay for it. And right. without gouging them, but you also you know, we, we need to make sure that we're maximizing our, our revenues. And, and that is a, a huge part of that is, is just price adjusting and really making sure that we're being smart and that we're not leaving money on the table. So, yeah. And I feel like we could, we could probably dive into that and so many other things. Uh, I think a part two at some point will have to be, will have to be done, will be needed. Um, but where could people go, Asa, to learn more about A-Lodge, everything you're doing with it? Sure. Um, so our website is uh, a-lodge.com. So that's A and then like a hyphen symbol. Uh, lodge is L-O-D-G-E.com. And uh, that's really the best place to learn about what we're doing. Um, then there's also, there's some articles about us. Um, trying to think of the best one. Um, I don't know. There's one in the LA Times. There's one in uh, the Washington post. And there's, we, a couple, two years ago, I believe we got awarded, um, top 10 hotels under $150 by USA today. Um, so that was awesome. a really nice, uh, exposure for us. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, the website is really where, where people should, should go to check us out. We got a couple of videos on there and, uh, information about, uh, our, you know, the different products that we're offering. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up actually those articles and as well as the website and everything else, uh, just go grind.com uh, slash podcast. You can find the show notes there. I'll link up everything so people can find that. And Asa, I really appreciate the time today, man. 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time and and uh, your interest in in the A Lodge and and our story. So I really appreciate it, and it was a lot of fun talking with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.